Uh, today we're going to have a discussion about House. Uh, excuse me, I can't read my writing here. Everyone knows why we're here. HJR 33. And I'm going to turn it over to Joe Manis, Manis who's going to be our panelist and moderator today so these guys don't get in a fist fight, right? Well, thank you. Um, thanks for coming. I understand more people are going to be coming. Um, okay, first, uh, the, all these gentlemen were uh, nice enough, actually, to voluntarily sit in the order of, the, of uh, their uh, speeches I had asked everyone ahead of time uh, to, to uh, pick a number between 1 and 20, so they're sitting in the order that they successfully picked the number. Um, so first will be Bill Plackey, who's going to lay out the Federalist Society's uh, uh, proposal, particularly HJR 33, uh, which had set up a new system, which is currently, just so you know, uh, a House panel did a hearing on it last week. They're expected to vote on it in the middle of the week. Uh, one of the sponsors, Representative Lemke, is sitting over there. Uh, second, then, uh, Doug Copeland, who's with who's a member of the firm Copeland, Thompson, and Ferris. Um, he will uh, discuss and defend the current setup for the judicial selection process in the state. And then um, the farthest to my left is Professor William Eckert from the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Law, who will um, talk about... Um, uh, the uh, uh, federal setup, and also HJR 31, I understand. Okay. The federal plan. Yes, which is the federal plan, which oh, I apologize, I got this wrong. Uh, Representative Lemke is the co-sponsor of HJR 31. Plackey is talking about 33. 33, um, it's unclear if there's going to be a vote on that because they haven't finished the hearing on it. So now here's going to be the order. Each of the, each of the gentlemen were, are going to get 12 minutes to lay out their position, lay out their plan. Then each person, and I'm going to do it in reverse, uh, will then have a chance to uh, offer rebuttal. Then we will open it up for questions. Uh, the questions, however, have to be limited to two sentences, and their replies should be within 90 seconds, unless it's something really technical. So uh, with that said, um, we'll start with Bill Plackey. Thank you, Joe. And um, I guess I, I get the distinction of being able to introduce uh, Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder as he walked in late. And, and Peter, thank you. We, uh, we always appreciate uh, your attendance uh, in, in furthering these debates. And just for the record, um, uh, while I am president of the, of the St. Louis chapter of the Federal Society, uh, all these views are my own and, and the... Um, HDR uh, 33 was well one that the uh, folks, some folks in the Federal Society, uh, contributed some comments to. It's it's certainly not uh, not the product of the Federal Society debate. I imagine some of our members don't like it even. Uh, so, uh, so so with that clarification, I'll just start off by explaining what HDR 33 is and how how it, how some of the current it reflects some of the current models out there. Um, HDR 33. Uh, takes the current commission, which, as some of you will know, is, is, is actually, why don't I back up and start there? The current, sorry to steal some of your thunder, the, the current, and I'll limit this to the Appellate Judicial Commission, which appoints the Supreme and Appellate um, Court 
judges is made up of seven members. Three are appointed by the governor, but it's not necessarily then sitting governor because it's six-year terms. Um, and then uh, three are appointed uh, or elected by members of the Missouri Bar and, and uh, that are appointed, I guess, by the, the, the Board of Governors based on that election. And the final position is uh, held by the Chief Judge, uh, Chief Justice of, of the Supreme Court and the Chief Judge of the Appellate Courts uh, uh, as well and the Circuit Courts. Um, and I'm sure, Doug, you'll, you'll correct me if, if, uh, if that's not particularly correct. But that's the general makeup. Half the members, are, or one half member bar, one half uh, of the members are gubernatorial appointment, but not necessarily that particular governor. And the ones uh, deciding is, is the chief judge, also a member of the bar. Um, what 33 does is 33 says, look, the three members of the Missouri bar represent um, what the bar would like to see on the courts. And we think that there needs to be more accountability public accountability into that process. So let's take those four bar member positions, which would include the chief judge, and have two appointed by the Speaker of the House and two appointed by the Senate. Then what, And then take the gubernatorial appointments and have the then sitting governor uh, appoint those. And all seven people serve at the pleasure of those who appoint them, except uh, they, can, uh, they can be replaced once a year and they can't be replaced during a del deliberation for the Supreme or Appellate Courts. So we, we, we have this model then which more reflects, if you will, a um, public input into the process where there is none now. So as, there, as an appointment comes up, you can call up, if you don't like the particular appointee or if you love the particular appointee, the concept is you can call up uh, your state senator, you can call up your house representative, you can call up those members of the panel whose information is publicly available, you've got their email addresses, you can contact the governor's office, and the idea is to have the public have input into that uh, selection process. Um, is there still a role for the bar? Well, of course there's still a role for the bar, and that is the bar would be able to issue a recommendation and that recommendation is one of four extraordinarily qualified, qualified, no opinion, or not qualified. And then the hearings by that judicial commission, they could call in uh, uh, the, the committee from the bar making that recommendation and say, you know, why did you, you know, what's the basis for your opinion? And uh, uh, men and women of goodwill properly performing their duties will make a serious inquiry into that. Now, what, what is this concept then of changing the commission? Where is it? Where is its foundation? Well, first of all, um, a big change in this would be the governor submits a nominee, a nominee to that commission, and that commission approves, and it's mandated to give an up or down vote within a certain amount of time, so you don't have ad infinitum delays and, and, cause, and, and causes for that delay. And that says the governor, whomever the governor is at that time, Democrat, Republican, whatever, needs to stand behind their candidate and say this is the person I want to put up, and here's why I think they're qualified, and the commission goes off and does its business. And then secondly is the concept, that particular concept of a gubernatorial appointment with a commission approval is followed in California right now. And so it does become an issue in elections for that particular governor, just like it does in the presidential elections. What, time of, what type of justice would you appoint to the Supreme Court? 
kind of judge would you appoint to the Missouri Supreme Court? And the other part of that, again, is you have direct input from the people's representatives uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the panel. That, that, at least in my view, restores a check and balance that is currently missing. Uh, 2001 general legislative agenda from the American Bar Association has a, a terrific statement in their, um, in, in their agenda points on, on their ability to have input into um, uh, the process of appointing judges at the federal level. One of the things they point out, they, says, they say, in, in their own, this place of appointment is the one place in the system where the executive and the legislature has its check on the judiciary. And that's because these are lifetime appointments. So at the time of appointment, the executive and the legislature exercise that check. It's missing from the current system. There is no legislative check. And the governor's check is hardly anything. He has a, he has a panel of three from which he must choose one, and he has no input into the makeup of that panel. Now, what does this also go, go to uh, try to correct? It tries to take the appointment process out of backroom politics and putting in, to Justice Black's words, uh, the cleansing uh, sunlight of day. And the idea being also, again, this is a corporate law context. I'm a corporate lawyer by training and have done joint ventures, joint ventures internationally uh, for many years. And where this comes from is the concept, and the corporate lawyers who understand this, two to hire. So when you have a joint venture with competing factions, what you try to put in is a provision that it takes two of the competing factions to hire the president, CEO, the, the, the CFO, and principal persons. If you look at the, up at the makeup of this commission, you'd have to have either the executive in the form of the governor aligned with the House or aligned with the Senate, or the House and the Senate aligned as opposed to the governor. And again, that's the two-to-hire concept. What will that produce? That will produce rigorous debate over that candidate about is this person qualified, is it not qualified, and the fact that these are public hearings out in the daylight will hopefully put a tempering fuel on partisan politics. Now, the other point of this is, is we have uh, in Missouri the, the, what is called the, non, uh, the nonpartisan plan. I would urge to you that the nonpartisan plan is that in title only. It, it, it takes something to take the high ground. Now, when the Missouri plan came about in 1940, its goals were laudable and good. It was trying to correct the defect of the Pentergast area where you had political bosses controlling the appointment process. In 1940, we were fighting a lot of fights that needed corrected. Uh, you know, we're, we stopped fighting the Germans in 1945. We had won. And I think the bar had done a terrific job in getting rid of the political boss influence over that process. So now the time comes back where we are today and say, is this, is this, and we should as lawyers, and I'm glad the Federal Society promotes this debate, is this the process that we think is good for, for the state of Missouri? Is this a good democratic process? And I've just been giving, given the uh, two-minute warning. Um, and, and I would urge you that, that the Missouri bar plan, uh, the Missouri plan, sorry, is, is, uh, is not what we want for the future of Missourians. We need a more representative process which reflects uh, 
voter input, even through their delegated representatives, that the fact that in Missouri, these are lifetime appointments de facto, due to the fact that no Missouri Supreme Court judge, no Missouri appellate court judge, has ever in the 70-year history lost a retention election. I would urge to, even if you say, well, great, doesn't that mean the system works because none of them are bad? That's, that, in 70 years, not one was bad. I, I, think, I think that would be a stretch. Moreover, we have the example from uh, this past election that one of the judges uh, received a 30% bar approval rating. That, that was the lowest bar approval rating ever. And, the, and her, the, the amount of votes that that particular judge received was st statistically insignificant as compared to the judges with the highest rating. What that seems to say, at least to me, and in a reasonable interpretation of that data, is that the retention provision is not working. These are lifetime appointments. And I think only two judges at the trial court level in the 70-year history have ever lost a retention election. That's less, it's got to be less than a quarter of 1%. So if we're going to have life, lifetime appointments de facto, we need to focus on the appointment process. And it would seem to me that our representatives in, uh, in Jefferson City, the governor nominating, and our, our uh, legislatures effectively approving, or at least having a veto, is the proper way to go because it does exercise a proper check. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll, I'll start by uh, saying that, that I have been a longtime member of the Federalist Society, so I'm, I'm not intervening here and uh, uh, coming in as, a, as, a, as an outsider or anything, but I, but I am opposed to the position of the society as far as the Missouri plan is, is concerned. I would suggest that if we're going to discuss and seriously consider the constitutional provisions of the nonpartisan court plan that was adopted 67 years ago, I'm going to insist that we first understand that system and remember why it was instituted in the first place. And Bill has spoken uh, to, to the point of where, you know, where we came from and what ha was happening 67 years ago. But I grow increasingly frustrated by those supporting either a change to or an abolition of the nonpartisan court plan as they repeatedly throw out catchy phrases intended to flame misguided support. They throw out phrases like unelected judges or judges not subject to the vote of the people or lifetime appointees. Uh, from this organization alone, I've seen printed materials on several occasions state that the lawyer members of the various judicial commissions are selected by the Missouri Bar Association. These statements are simply not accurate. Each and every judge appointed under the nonpartisan plan of Missouri is subject to vote of the people shortly after they are appointed and again at the end of each term served. How can one truthfully say that the people of Missouri that these judges are unelected, or that they are not subject to the vote of the people. As for the claim that Missouri Bar Association selects members of the judicial commissions, I don't know where that comes from. I've been a member of the Board of Governors of the Missouri Bar for 11 years. I served as president last year, and I can assure you that the Missouri Bar Association has never selected a single member of any of the judicial commissions. In reading the Constitution, it clearly indicates that each of the three lawyer members of the seven-member appellate judicial commission are elected by the lawyers residing in each of the three districts of the Court of Appeals. And the two lawyer members of the five-member Judicial Circuit Commission are elected by the lawyers residing in that Judicial Circuit. The Missouri Bar Association has absolutely nothing to do with selecting or electing any members of any Judicial Commission. 
in my time allotted, I am not able to review the entire nonpartisan plan, but I appreciate uh, some, some of those uh, reviews that have already been given to you. Suffice it to say that when a vacancy exists, persons apply for the position to the appropriate judicial commission. The members of the commission review those applications and interview the candidates and then select a panel of three, send that panel to the governor who must select one of the three. If the governor fails to do so, then the commission selects one of the three to serve. I, I don't think that's ever occurred. I've already mentioned how the lawyer members of the commissions are, accept, are selected. For the rest of the commission members, the governor appoints an equal number of non-lawyers and the last seat is filled by a member of the judiciary. It's a Supreme Court judge on the appellate commission. Uh, it is the presiding judge of the appellate court for the circuit, for the circuit court commissions. Each judge is on the ballot in the next general election, at least one year following the appointment, at the, and again at the end of each term of office. In between those elections, each judge is subject to discipline or removal from the bench at any time by the Commission on Retirement, Removal, and Discipline of Judges. That commission consists of two lawyers, two non-lawyer citizens appointed by the governor, a circuit court judge, and an appellate judge. As opposed to the judicial commissions, the lawyer members of this commission are selected by the Board of Governors of the Missouri Bar. I'm simply asking that before you decide on the issues of these House Joint Resolutions, I would ask that you review the Judicial Article 5 of our Constitution so that you can see for yourself what it provides now before we're seriously considering any changes. The next question, why was the Missouri Nonpartisan Plan added to our Constitution in the first place? I, I don't think there's any question by anyone that the plan was adopted in 1940 in a specific reaction to political corruption of the legal systems in St. Louis and Kansas City. As mentioned by Bill, the Pendergrass political machine controlled the courts in Kansas City and the ward bosses in St. Louis controlled the courts here. The plan was designed to select judges based upon merit, not politics. It was the first of its kind in the nation and similar plans have since been adopted in nearly 30 other states across the nation. I've traveled the nation and I've talked to other bar leaders and throughout the nation it's known as the Missouri plan and we ought to be proud of that. The next question, why are changes being proposed to the plan? I don't have a good answer to that, that's why we've got other panelists here, but as I've mentioned I've heard complaints that the citizens of the state are not given input into the selection and retention of judges. As I've mentioned I think they do have input if they desire to exercise it under the plan. Furthermore if you look at HDR 31 it actually takes the retention vote away from the people and gives it to the General Assembly. I would certainly suggest that that's not giving more input by the, the people of the state. In both 31 and 33, there's no other path to the bench except one that starts in the governor's office. In both cases, the process starts by the appointment of a judge by the governor, and only after that appointment are they subject to confirmation by either the Senate or a commission comprised entirely of appointees by the governor and members of the General Assembly. I find it interesting that in the very survey commissioned by the Federalist Society to attack the nonpartisan plan, those citizens surveyed placed the governor dead last amongst those who should have the greatest input on selection of Supreme Court judges. In both resolutions, the governor is given absolute power to determine who is even able to enter the process of becoming a judge. And I think we all know how one gets included in that consideration, regardless of who is serving as the governor. It's all about whose campaign contributions are coming from where, who holds the most political fervor, and whatever party is in control of the governor's office. It has nothing to do with the qualities that I think are essential to a strong judiciary. So again, what needs to be fixed? What's broken? I would suggest nothing is broken, that what is truly at stake is the loss of a balance and separation of power between the three branches of government. 
These resolutions are an absolute diminishment of power of the judicial branch and a clear transfer of power over to the legislative and executive branches. I have no question from my experience with a number of legislatures over the past few years that they do not consider the judicial branch as co-equal in power, as necessary to serve as a check and balance against both the legislative and executive branches. That is what our discussion must be about if we're going to honestly consider these amendments to our Constitution. During his confirmation hearings, Chief Justice Roberts testified, what we must have and what our legal system demands is a fair and unbiased umpire, one who calls the game according to the existing rules and does so competently and honestly every day. Larry Dessam used that quote in his remarks to the Senate committee hearing on these resolutions earlier this week. He went on to comment, or maybe it was a House committee hearing, I'm not quite sure which. He went on to comment, and that's interesting because the Cubs are in town this weekend, but he went on to comment that applying that baseball analogy to these resolutions, they are the legal equivalents of allowing the Chicago Cubs to appoint the umpires who will officiate at their own ball games, and allowing the Cubs to tell each umpire that he might not be asked to call tomorrow's game if the Cubs don't agree with all his calls today. I want a judiciary that fairly, competently, and consistently applies the rule of law, not subject to pressure or personal repercussion of the General Assembly, the governor's office, or any political party. The existing nonpartisan plan is the best way we have found to do that. Both of these proposed constitutional amendments go against that principle, and therefore I oppose them both. Thank you. Mr. Copeland, is there anything else you want to say? No. Okay. Yeah, he was. He was shorter. Okay. Um, I'm hungry. Now, <laughs> now we'll get to uh, Professor Ecker. Good morning. Nothing may be broken, but it certainly needs to be modernized. The Missouri Plan is over 60 years old. Uh, it indeed was a model for some 20 states uh, for their own court selection, and I think we can. I think we can be proud of that. The goal then, as it is today, is quality control and ensuring the value of a democratic product. We want to emphasize professional qualifications without, without the extreme and destructive political influence of electing judges. The goal is to have confidence in courts. We have to talk about both selection and retention. But this legal regime is 60, over 60 years old, and in my experience, most legal cases and regimes and ideas last for 20 to 30 years. Society changes, and if you don't change, they become more abound. You simply have to change with them. Tellingly, that some two-thirds of the states that have basically adopted the Missouri Plan have modernized their plan to ensure that it, it has more representation. I think that's the most telling argument that uh, I have to make for the side that I'm arguing for, which is the federal plan. Uh, quite simply, the Missouri plan is not representative enough. The legislature has no input. There, it's, there is a perception that the process is controlled by the organized bar, and I understand the difference between the organized bar and bar associations in general, but it's still, uh, they are lumped together in many people's minds. 
In practice, people have insufficient information to act when they go to the polls to vote for retention. We talk about input. Input absolutely requires information, and practically that information is either not available or not made available for citizens to use. We need to preserve the integrity of the courts. Anecdotally uh, and statistically, about a third of all voters instinctively vote against retention of any judge. And their, their statements are, well, I'm not going to vote for somebody when I don't know enough about them to vote. I think that third statistic is dangerous. I was appalled this fall in Kansas City when there appeared to be a rather simple procedure on the ballot to allow municipal court judges to extend their stay in office for a couple of months until their Social Security benefits kicked in for, for basically for their own personal monetary retirement purposes. And that, astonishingly to me, was defeated. And that, for me personally, is a shot across the bow which tells us we need to modernize in a time when we can do so in a reasoned debate and are not faced with crisis. I hear lots of talk about activist judges and uh, activist courts, but I think it's very important that this debate not be about court bashing. That's what this is not about. But I think every person in this room uh, understands the unease of the general republic when it comes to courts these days. You don't need to, specific, to pick specific cases or specific judges, but when you talk about uh, abortion, when you talk about death penalty by injection, when you talk about religion in the public square, uh, there is terrible uh, anxiety about this particular problem. Uh, long, large portions of our, pop, our public are determined to see that judicial power is properly exercised. And I don't know how one describes that. But uh, the, the Federalist Society and a couple of polls in related states uh, in Georgia and Oregon indicated that 80% would define that as interpret the law as it is written and not take into account their own viewpoint or experiences. In that same poll in both Georgia and Oregon, 68 and 73% preferred a state Supreme Court pra that practiced judicial restraint over judicial activism. My real fear is that the United States of America has a jewel, and that's called judicial review. No other country in the world has judicial review quite like we have. And the purpose of my being here and my fervor and my argument is I perceive danger in that, and I think we need to act in a calm fashion to protect it. And I think we need to do it through modernization of our selection process. Let me uh, turn to the, to the federal plan. Uh, in the survey that the Federalist Society conducted, some 40% of Missourians assume that we select our judges by the federal method. I find that uh, not surprising, but it, uh, it may say something about where we ought to go. Uh, 65% of that same fur, uh, survey favored changing the system. Well, if 40% assume we do it in the federal method and there's a, 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 a method for change, I think that's probably where we ought to look very carefully.
The federal plan requires very little modification of the present system, indeed a tweaking, but it adds a lot more representative democracy. And of course what I'm talking about is uh, House Joint Resolution 31, which would permit the voters to amend the Constitution to adopt this particular federal model. Let me turn quickly to the technical components of, uh, of the federal plan. Uh, they are obvious and almost sophomoric, but because they fit to what we commonly know and understand in practice. The governor would nominate judges for the Missouri Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals and, circuit and, and associate circuit judges for St. Louis City, Jackson County, and St. Louis County. So the governor nominates what you, what you would expect with political accountability that goes there for. Then the Missouri Senate would vote to confirm or reject the governor's nomination within 120 days. The real ringmaster in this process, of course, would, would be uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. And they would be able to hold public hearings on the nominee. The recommendations by the, to that committee by the Missouri State Bar would continue to be considered and be considered in their important role just as it is in the federal government. We can argue about whether that's too much or not enough or just right. But uh, 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 they certainly have a powerful voice in the federal system, and I would think they would have no less voice in this particular system. Nominations then must, would have to be confirmed by a majority of the Senate, and after a 10-year term, judges would stand for retention election by the, major, by the Missouri General Assembly. Basically, you would take the, the, the election process out and I think put it in a, a carefully managed uh, judiciary Committee, which I would think would be an improvement. So, let's, let's, let me conclude if I could. The important role of the Missouri Bar would be preserved by permitting the Bar to provide an opinion on the qualifications of a particular judge. The public would have an open role when the Judiciary Committee would be able to call witnesses to testify. They would, the public would be able to contact governors, they would be able to contact their legislature, there would be public expression equal to or greater than currently we have at the polls. The legislature would be given a voice, I think it's strange that uh, they have absolutely no voice. The legislature uh, would have some sort of constitutional check as, as the checks and balance system works out in the federal government, uh, damnably inefficient at times but necessary to our liberty. Both the governor and the legislature could be held politically accountable. In the process, the people could expect their, express their views to both the governor and the legislature. In closing, my points are that we need to act before there is a crisis. Modernization after some 67 years appears to be appropriate. There are several proposals to do this, and I believe the federal plan is the best. But in my judgment, it's time for a debate and it's time for action while we can do this in a reasoned, considerate fashion and not be pressed by events that we all are trying to avoid. Thank you very much. Now we'll go to Mr. Plackey. Uh, we'll begin the three-minute rebuttals. We'll start in the same order. 
The, uh, I'd first like to respond to Doug. Actually, a lot of, a lot of my comments here you responded to, to Doug. Um, first of all, where his, his general assertion, I think the metaphor is absolutely flawed metaphor about the umpire being the governor who's calling the balls and strikes together with the legislature. As it sits currently, the public has no input, and it would seem to me that at least if the public has nominees on that commission, there is some accountability. And, and again, when the dean said that metaphor, I didn't quite follow the, that he thinks that the commission is a better umpire because it's controlled by three members of the bar, the chief judge, who seems to be a bit in conflict if he's appointing his own colleague, uh, and then three members that, that are a governor's nominee, past or present. Um, why not, and I guess this would be my general assertion, why not our elected representatives having input into that process, especially especially since that is the one place that they have the check uh, on the judiciary. And, and I come back again to this the question, I think uh, Chief Justice Wolf wrote it, an op-ed in Springfield Times, and he said, look, there's all, the, the judiciary uh, is checked by all these methods, um, one of which is the, at the appointment time by the commission, and then throughout its uh, tenure by the disciplinary council, and I reflected on that and thought, well, wait a second. The commission is controlled by the bar, association, bar membership. Um, the disciplinary commission is judges, and I'd love to find a statistic on how many judges have actually been removed by the commission. Uh, something tells me it's very few. Hopefully they'd step down if they got wind uh, that something was coming, but I imagine that's very few. But it seems to be that the judiciary checks itself in this system, whether at appointment um, or in, in staying on the bench, and, and let's face it, let's talk honest. If no appellate court judge and no Supreme Court judge has ever lost a retention election, if they're speaking honestly, you can't argue that that's a proper check on the judiciary. There would have been one in 70 years. There's got to have been one in 70 years. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the next point is, Professor Eckert hit on it just a touch, but originally close to 30 states did adopt a Missouri plan. But there's only six states that currently have that. And I've got a chart here that I think is helpful. On the one side, it says the lowest public input into the process of appointment and the highest input. On the lowest input side is the Missouri Bar Plan, and the highest input is the partisan elections like they have in Illinois. Now, no one is proposing an election, and I certainly wouldn't advocate that process. But here in the middle of public input is the federal and the uh, and the HDR 33 proposals. And I think, in my view, that at least strikes some type of balance between the twin and opposing goals of both accountability and independence of the judiciary. Bill, Bill, you're over. And I'm over. <laughs> okay. Everybody but, else gets an extra 10 seconds. Okay. Um, let me just comment about a few things. I, I keep hearing people have no input. People do have input. They have a retention vote. If they choose not to act on that retention vote, that's the people speaking. The governor appoints citizens, not lawyers, to the commissions, to the, the commission on removal of judges. So citizens do have input. Legislative check. The legislature can change the laws. That's their balance. That's their check. I, I have a problem with saying we're getting out of the backroom context of, of, of selection of judges 
when we're putting it into the governor's office. I, I don't know any more political setting than the governor's office. That's what it's supposed to be. But that's not where I want judges to come from. Um, more representation, I think this creates less representation by the people. Uh, and, and Professor Eckert, in response to your suggestion that it's time to modernize, you know, our U.S. Constitution is over 200 years old. I don't feel the need to modernize it if it's working, if it's good. Uh, and I don't think we need to change something just for the sake of change if it's working. Uh, as far as information being available to the public, the bar goes to great lengths to uh, do surveys on judges up for retention. We have news conferences. We have uh, public service announcements that are on TV, that are on radio. We put it on the website. We put it in grocery stores. It's up to the people, if they want to be involved in this process, to get that information and use it. Um, you know, I think civic education may be where we need to be putting more attention than changing the nonpartisan plan. Um, in response to the indication that there has not been a removal or a locks of retention of an appellate or Supreme Court judge, I would say that's an indication that the system is working, that we've got very good people there that have been well-qualified and well-screened to get there. My concern is this. Assuming we're comfortable with our current governor controlling all judicial appointments in Missouri, how are we going to feel if we find ourselves a few years down the road having, and I have a name here, but I'm not going to say it, put your own name in there, some other judge, or excuse me, some other governor in the position of absolute control of who gets into our judicial system. I have no trouble imagining any number of people in that office that would be an absolute nightmare if they controlled the stream of judicial appointments. What are we going to do then? Are we going to change the Constitution to take it back from the governor at that point? I mean, I don't feel that we can mess around with the Constitution in that fashion. I think we need to look long term and make sure that we're comfortable with this system of uh, either having Senate confirmations or having the governor control the absolute stream and, and put in our minds, if it's comfortable now, is it going to be comfortable when everything's going to change? Because I think history has told us everything will change. We're not where we're going to be uh, five years from now, right now. So I, I, would, I would just say that, that uh, uh, I think we have a good system. I think the people are involved. I think the bar does need to be involved because I think they're uniquely qualified to understand what makes a good judge. Okay, thank you. Mr. Change for change's sake is not uh, at issue here, I think. When you have two-thirds of the people that adopted something uh, modernize it, then you can hardly say that, uh, that you shouldn't look at modernizing it. Uh, the, the real issue, I think, is public input. Uh, when, you, when you talk about uh, the information on retention of judges and, and, and uh, concede that uh, civic education may be more necessary, I think that's a hellacious concession because I think that's the fulcrum upon which this debate hinges. One-eighth of the voters in the survey, uh, only one-eighth said that they were aware of what the ratings were, and half of those said they were not influenced by them. I'm not sure that's healthy. I, 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 the basic proposition is that uh, input requires uh, information and reason, and I think that is better off done in a well-managed, legislative-type process with uh, hopefully the most professional of uh, uh, judiciary committees that uh, would never uh, take us down a, a borking-type path, which, is, which terrifies us all and, and requires us to understand the need to have uh, quality control done with input by 
people who understand the governmental system and understand the court system as it is. And I think that's, uh, uh, I, I understand uh, uh, the unease about change of governors. We have unease and have had for as long as the Constitution exists, Doug, uh, what presidents when they change, and some, and some mighty ones with Marbury versus Madison and others that have come on, and we've done well. I think my, my argument is before we have a crisis, let's debate change. The best of the plans, in my judgment, is a federal plan because it is so well known, it does very little tweaking, and I think would increase the, the, the ease and the acceptance and the uh, 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 acceptance of the public by courts. Thank you. Okay, okay, we'll now open it to the public for questions. Again, limited to two sentences. <laughs> With an inflection at the end, I'm told. <laughs> although, although the lieutenant governor can have privilege. Okay. <laughs> With that said, Davis uh, Shack has hand up first, and then we'll go to the my, Lieutenant Governor. My question is, would the three panelists address how their plan would affect the bad apple problem, in other words, the bad judge, versus raising the overall quality in, on, on more of an average basis? So if we got bad judges to worry about it, we got to raise the overall quality. Address what you think would happen on those two front three points. The HDR 30, uh, 33... The retention vote would still be in there. There's another proposal, HCR 34, which would uh, transfer that to the legislature. And I think the concept behind that is that the legislature would be more engaged in the process. And for instance, when the bar does give its rating, uh, I would have every confidence in the legislature that they would pay attention to that rating. And if someone were reappointed to the bench with a less than qualified rating, I think the legislature would have to answer to a number of people and answer to the public. These are folks that every two years, uh, in, in one case, four years, and the other, have to go around and shake hands with their constituents, and they will get the questions, why did you appoint that judge with that have a 30% rate? Um, that being said, 34 does not tinker uh, with the current process. But I, I, I wish it would, but it doesn't. Um, so that addresses your bad apple question. Uh, how, do, how do you think it does better? Uh, getting the right judges on. Um, it seems to me the more public the process, the less likely you're going to get extremes on either end of, of the debate. I actually would take issue with Doug's uh, exception. Right. I would take issue with Doug's exception to the gubernatorial appointment process. Yes, we all know the governor's office changes from time to time, but any governor's office would properly vet any candidates because they don't want the Harriet Myers cronyism being attacked. And you know in this day and age of partisan politics, if it's a, if it's a crony appointment, someone's going to bring it out, and at least it will be brought out in the public and not done behind closed doors. Uh, on, on how do you get rid of bad judges, I'd say two ways. You know, one is if the judge has actually committed some offense, you've got the commission for removal of judges, and, and, and I think, okay, um, you know, the, 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 under the existing plan, it's a retention vote, and, you know, was I disappointed at the last election given what some of the low ratings were and what the public response was? Yes. Um, but on the other hand, the, the public spoke, and, and who am I to say the public is wrong? I mean, we, I think our job is to give them information if they choose to 
disregard our information or not seek it out or, or go the opposite way, that's their choice. Um, raising the, the quality of the entire bench, I think, is more a function of, of salary. Um, you know, we've, the bar's been working hard. We've got associate circuit judges that are making less than first-year associate law firms in, in the city of St. Louis. We've got Supreme Court judges that are making less than municipal judges in Kansas City and St. Louis. I think we need to, to work on that to improve the willingness of people to go and, and do it. Good lawyers, competent lawyers, as opposed to those that perhaps can't make it in the private practice. I think that's more of a critical issue than, than anything in the nonpartisan plan. My answer would uh, be that in the selection process, I think you're better off uh, by having it public. I think uh, my colleague spoke to that, Bill spoke to that quite clearly. Moving to the retention, which is uh, where I think this might be better, this plan is perhaps even more helpful, is that uh, the ignorant public uh, versus an informed uh, professional legislative uh, judiciary committee, I think, is, is the key. Uh, and I think if you have problem judges and needed them handled, I think you want them handled by professionals who know what's professional and is not political and will act accordingly. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Lieutenant Governor was saying. Thank you for coming, all of you. His question. Um, well, yeah. I think I think he directed it, Mr. Copeland. I think Mr. Copeland yeah. should okay. have a chance so to answer it yeah. first, and then we'll go around. Well, and, and Peter, th there have been two votes. I know that's not much over the years. Two judges mm -hmm. that have not been retained, so it, it hasn't been a complete fiction. Um, but I share in your frustration. You know, I, I think that we can do better uh, overall with the judges on the bench, and and quite honestly, um, I'm disappointed when we go to all the trouble of preparing the, the surveys and, and some judges do less well than they should, in my opinion, to stay on the bench, and yet the public retains them. Um, I think what the efforts of the bar have been, not to throw out the, the system, not to eliminate the retention vote, not to eliminate the accountability to the people, but to try to educate the people more. And, and I, I tell you, we, we went all over the state with, with, with uh, uh, press conferences, uh, we've got it more available than it's ever been before on the web. Uh, I'm open to suggestions of how we can get that information out better because I think we're all trying to do the same thing. We all want a good judiciary. We all want a judiciary that follows the rules of law, that isn't an activist, that doesn't create law, that doesn't tax, that doesn't do all these things. We all want the same thing. It's just how do we get there? And, and I would much more rather concentrate on let's make the public informed. Um, and and I'm, I'm happy to, to engage in how we can do that. We, we've really been working hard in trying to improve the survey instrument itself to give better information than lawyers think this person should be retained or shouldn't be retained. You know, let's, let's talk about the particulars of do they show up on time, do they understand the law, you know, those kind of competencies that we want, do they follow the law. 
those kind of competencies that we want in judges. And I should like to, to okay, comment on that for, okay. for just a minute. Okay. The, yeah. Um, now. Yeah. Now you. The uh, the uh, the strong evidence. Is, there there was a proposal to raise the retention to sixty percent some time ago, and the bar came or the, the judicial conference, I believe, and the bar came out and said we just need to educate people better as those bar ratings were falling. He said we need to educate more about what judges do. That's been an utter failure. And I just want to, and it's not just in Missouri. That's that's the point. And I think that part of uh, the governor's uh, uh, frustration has to do also with a national view. And, and, I'll, and I'll cite this: Larry Aspen, William Hall article, "What Twenty Years of Judicial Retention Elections Have Told Us," um, 1987 study. Even um, they went through the states that have retention elections, and they pointed out that um, the retention elections showed that in the ten states that still have these during a 20-year period. Only 22 judges in those 10 states, aggregate of 22 judges, were defeated. That was less than 1% in all 10 states. And then an updated study was published showing that in the same 10, 10 states, over a 30-year period, only 50 judges were defeated. Again, that was approximately 1%. And then more than half of those judges that were defeated in that, that 1%, were defeated in Illinois, which has a 60% retention election threshold during this period. So even if you take a view outside of Missouri, I, I think I would echo uh, the Lieutenant Governor's frustration that, look, it doesn't work. It's not a proper check. So let's get people that will engage and take the input uh, and, and consider about good government. So, Briefly, I want to be anecdotal. I walked in to elect municipal judges some months ago. I happened to sit twice a month with the Kansas City Star Board, so I paid careful attention to what's in the newspaper. And when I flipped my ballot open and discovered for the first time I was going to have to vote for the retention of judges, I almost died, especially with a court that was under incredible, incredible scrutiny. No information at all. Well, I, I voted. And I went back and I fussed mightily at the star why they did this. And I, I looked, I pay attention, I looked at that things before I went to vote to be sure I could remember the names. I'm sure I'm no different from any one of you. There was nothing, nothing that dealt with judges at all. And when I wagged my finger at them, I was pointed to, to some inside page that they did this some three weeks before the election, and that was the total information. That is non-participation. You can't say the public participates if that, and I don't think my anecdotal evidence is, uh, is unreasonable or unusual. I, that's not, a, that's not, that's unacceptable. By all accounts, it had to do with a judge that was on the ideological extreme of his court, and it was launched by people on the other ideological side. You know, so these people were not getting it totally wrong. And the Missouri bar immediately came out against this attempt to have a popular, meaningful re recall vote, and I believe convened a commission on unfair criticism of the judiciary. So if we're going to the bar hang our hat on the retention vote and public uh, participation. Then I would encourage the Missouri Bar to stay out of these retention fights because I suppose that's not going to be solved. Okay, so anybody else? Okay, 
anybody want to comment? Go ahead. Mr. Okay. Copeland first, since he was. And absolutely, and it's it's the position of the bar that that. Um, on the bar, and, and what happened was we weren't prepared. We didn't know what to do. We, we, we did react to that. It was 10 days before the election, and there was a reaction. And, and I was an officer of the bar at the time, and so I, I, I saw the process go through. You know, how do we respond to this? Um, uh, you know, we do want the retention to be meaningful. Uh, the concerns we had in, in that particular case were some of the things that were being said were untrue, unfair, and inaccurate. And and after that election, after we had time, there it's like was a regular election. well, <laughs> just, you're, you're you're absolutely right. Just like a regular political election, and that's what we don't want. You know, we don't want what happened in Illinois uh, with with the allegations going back. I mean, I was convinced both of those guys were were child molesters and perpetrators of of, of whatever heinous crime the other was saying that they were soft on. Um, what we did after that situation was to get this panel, some of the best minds on, on both sides of the political spectrum in the state, and say, when should we become involved? Because we're not going to go run to the defense of every judge that's attacked, because if the tax warranted, if the tax fair, if the tax accurate, that's the process. I, you know, the, I, I, I want the judges to be susceptible to that. What they came back with was a, a procedure that the bar would follow and the threshold is we only get involved if there's a determination that what's being said, because in the system we've got set up, there, there's not a lot of ways that judge can defend him or herself. Um, you know, they don't have political, you know, they don't have a campaign fund. They, they're, they're limited in what they can say. So um, uh, the, the, the report that came back that was adopted by the Board of Governors and the Missouri Bar was we will only become involved when what is being said by whoever is unfair, untrue, or inaccurate. And otherwise, we're not going to be involved. And, and I, I will tell you that there were a lot of races across the state where a lot of different things were being said, more on the circuit court level, that, that they were begging the bar to get involved in because they wanted you know, somebody to, to, to slow this other person down. We didn't get involved, and, and, and purposely so. So uh, it, it, is a, it is a fine line that the bar walks, but we're very cognizant of the fact that if criticism is true and accurate and fair, I mean, that's what, we're, that's what we want. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's what we go to the, to the media to, to give these bar results. I mean, if you look at the bar results from the St. Louis metropolitan area of the survey, um, they were very critical of some judges. We put that right out there with the media. We didn't try to, you know, protect those judges in, in any way, shape, or form. So it's, I know it can be seen from, from different perspectives, and, and I regret that we had so little time to formulate a response in that particular situation. Okay. Mr. Copeland, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Uh, any other, the other two gentlemen have anything you want to say? Okay. Uh, yeah, Representative Lemke. Lucky. The idea of 
So, so there's two questions there, and I'm, I'm happy you're at a Federal Society event because we, we love to, to, to muse on the founders' writings. And, and indeed, there's a lot of writing by Alexander Hamilton uh, on the subject of lifetime appointment. And actually, the Federal Society carries as, as one of its uh, uh, slogan statements a, a quote from uh, Federal 78, I believe, with Hamilton. It says that they shall... Uh, exercise, well, not, now it's leaving me what the exact quote is, basically saying they need to interpret the law as written, not as they want it to be. And, and he was very, very troubled by the, by the thought that um, the independent judiciary would have a lifetime uh, appointment. But again, the twin goals, let's sort of advancing it forward, these goals haven't changed. And that is, you need independence of the judiciary in order that they will stand up to an overreaching legislature or governor in times of trouble and crisis. There's no doubt about that, and that's what makes this nation great. We are, we are a people of laws, and the rule of law is sanctimonious. When we stop following the rule of law, we break out in anarchy, and that is something no one wants. But that independence of the judiciary must be checked by accountability. And where is that accountability exercised? And I think I alluded to it earlier. It's at the appointment process. When you have, and I think in this system, in both uh, your proposal for the federal model um, with the 10-year check by the legislature and a retention election that was a proper retention election that had some teeth to it, you could actually once in a while, once a decade, put that judge up and say, is this the person we still want for the next decade? And I think that's a proper exercise because once in a while you might want to look at it. And years go by, and I think everyone in here could probably come up with an example, where at the moment some people would say, that is a crazy, nutty decision. A few years go by, people say, that eh, wasn't so crazy nutty. But there's others where the Supreme Court, Justice Scalia pointed it out when he was here visiting us. He thinks the Supreme Court got it wrong three times, one of which was abortion, one of which was Kelso, and I forgot what the third of which is, and he says, you know what, that's not bad. Once in a while, we get it wrong. Uh, and Jim, great question about the election of judges. I am all in favor, and I think the bar is all in favor, of the election of judges in political campaigns in the jurisdictions where it's being done, in the rural areas of, of Missouri. And the, and the difference is people know their candidates. People know personally or know somebody who personally knows the candidates that are running for office, and that gives them the opportunity to, to verify and know the qualities of that particular person. St. Louis County, if we had an election for judges, you know, I'm a very active lawyer. I've you know, been in bar stuff. All I, I wouldn't know half of the people that are on the bench as far as their different qualities. And, and I'm in the position I am. And then you can imagine what's the rest of the population going to know about these people other than what's plastered up on billboards and, and what's, what's you know, spooned over the radio and TV like in Illinois. So, I, you know, it, it, is, it is an interesting question because why, why the hell does, doesn't it work in, you know, uh, St. Louis County if it, if it works in uh, Peebley? And, and that's the difference. People have an opportunity to really know the candidates, and those candidates don't have to raise $100,000 to run for office. 
So they're not going to be perceived as being beholden to somebody. And then when, and, and it just changes the whole complexion of things. As far as the envisioning, you know, we have been struggling as a nation for ever since we were founded. And I, as far as how do we select judges, how's the best way to do it? I think the, the, the idea that we need to find a way the individual rights of the people are protected is important. And, and it's not just the will of the people that, that governs what happens from the bench. It's the rule of law. Answering your question historically, I had the privilege of uh, being a Senator or Representative Randolph uh, and representing the House in the impeachment trial of one Samuel Chase, uh, who was impeached in, in the early 1800s in the Federalist uh, clash that, uh, that dealt with Marbury versus Madison. And uh, the whole idea of this process was to reinforce to our students the importance of, uh, of the judiciary. It's, it, was, it was quite a lesson. Quite a lesson. Stirred them all when you look historically and then uh, uh, transpose that to what could happen today. Uh, we, uh, in this section, live with Andrew Jackson and his uh, democratic uh, reforms in the 1820s. Uh, certainly states around here, at least in my old home state of Mississippi, were profoundly influenced by that, and that, and that does something. But, but the argument here today is, not, is to find the, 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 the uh, middle ground where, where you, you have a, uh, an informed uh, uh, legislative committee handling specific things and getting input from people and not having mob rule and not having elitism, and that's seen, that is a path that we understand that we've made work for in the federal system for 200-plus years, and I, I think it's time to go there. Okay. Uh, Lady Rachel. Oh, could you give your name, please? Yeah, my name is Yvonne Allen. I live in the Foundation Support Report. Okay. Um, I guess I'm really reference to what you're going You claim that the people have a voice, but in 2005, 209 complaints were made to Missouri Commission for Retirement and Rehabilitation and 205 of those complaints were reasonable. Where is the people's voice? Okay, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not in a position to be able to respond to the, the nature of those complaints or the reaction to those complaints. Um, you know, that those are uh, uh, not records that, that, that are open to the public uh, unless there's been something that's been done. So I, I'm, I'm a bit at a loss to, to really be able to quantify uh, what, you know, what was the nature of those complaints. Was the complaint the judge rules against me? Um, I didn't like the judge. Was the judge disrespectful? I mean, I, I don't know what those complaints were, so I'm, I'm not able to respond to it. I do know that, that uh, and I've never served on, on the commission, so I, I don't really have any, any personal knowledge, but I do know that, that often they hold hearings and, and they do administer discipline. I know over the years that, that many judges have left the bench as a consequence of a complaint that's been filed uh, uh, to the commission. So I, I know that they take their responsibilities seriously and they, they uh, go to a great deal of effort to uh, investigate those complaints and act on them appropriately. So I, I'm, I'm sorry I can't be more specific than that. It is a, I think it is a good procedure that, that we have in place. I have no experience with the discipline commission. Hope never to have any. So. Okay. Uh, next was the gentleman there. Uh, give me your name, please. <laughs> I knew I'd be picked on here. <laughs> Figure out that the judge is not appropriate 
against the Fed. So the campaign was successful, but it took 10 years to do that. Well, the party was shot. The judge who got lost in the campaign said, hey, my term's not up. I'm retiring. On top of that, I'm going to take senior status. And he is a senior status judge now. He can't sit in Clay County, but the rest of us have his hands. I, you know, I am aware of that situation, and and I think for for that judge to sit anywhere is is probably not proper. I mean, I you know, I, I think that that, um, and and I, th I think somebody earlier said, will you never agree to to tinkering with the system? And 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 I, I want to say that that uh, that's not the case. Um, the the proposals that have been presented to abolish the system to from our my perspective, politicize the system we have been opposed to, but I'd be very much in favor of uh, something that would change the system that would say that that, you know, that judge that, that lost a retention election could not thereafter sit as a judge as senior status or anything. I mean, I'd be very much in favor of that. I, I don't think that, you know, in that situation that that worked as, a, as I would have intended for it to work. Okay. 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 Uh, one more question. Uh, and then I have closing statements. Anybody, uh, I've, uh, Sorry, but I would like to get someone here and ask uh, the gentleman, you, sir. It's Jay Hansworth. Okay. Um, I'd like to comment on, you talk about the information that goes out and the public doesn't act on it, but that information is provided to them from a group of people that surveys would indicate they don't trust to begin with, and that's lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you don't have an opportunity to... Um, Discuss with the judge. You're not allowed to engage the judges on their philosophy, on their their, their process. So, is that information at all? If people you're giving some people something they don't even trust to begin with. Uh, any particular preference for order on this oh. one? Yes, uh, Mr. Copeland. <laughs> I'm right in the middle here. Um, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I understand that there are people that say, uh, you know, lawyers think this judge should be in, then I think the judge should be out, and lawyers think this judge should be out. Well, I think that must be something good with that judge. The, the problem we've got is lawyers are in the very best position to evaluate judges. I mean, they're in front of them every day. They, they know whether they're there on time or not. They know whether they know the law or not. They know whether they diligently rule or not. Um, I'm not sure whether there's any better way to evaluate. We have expanded. We did a trial in St. Louis County on this last election where we included jurors as, as uh, people who uh, would, would evaluate the judge in whose court they sat. Now, it, it's a little bit different level of questions, but, but it, some very important questions. You know, was the, uh, was the judge in control of the courtroom? Was the judge there on time? Was the judge respectful? You know, those kinds of things that a juror could could evaluate, and, and I imagine that that's going to be expanded. I think it was successful in St. Louis County, and will be expanded out to the rest of the state. But but it's a little difficult um, to know where else we can get some good evaluation. Uh, I mean, there are some other very expensive programs that, that are in other parts of the country um, where you know any judge up for retention comes before the commission is interviewed, you know, has cases reviewed and all that. that Cost millions and millions of dollars, and and uh, that that would be a possible thing to do. The bar can't fund that, but the state could. The focus of my question was why not let the judges face the people and, and answer questions directly. Right. Uh, 
think I'm going to actually take what, what you're saying. The premise is people aren't using the bar uh, the bar rating in the retention election, and I think that's an absolutely true statement. Um, I plotted on a graph just because these are the kind of silly things I do as a as more of a business lawyer. Uh, I plotted on a graph this last election. You had three uh, judges from the Missouri Supreme Court, and I think I don't know 15 judges from the county, 15 judges from the city. And I plotted those on the graph and where they appeared and then the bar rating. And I wish I had that graph with me. I showed it one other time here. And you see the bar rating going up and down. But what you saw was was statistically flat line. The three Missouri Supreme Court judges received about 30 to 32 uh, percent uh, no votes. And then you went into the, the county and it was 35 percent no, no votes with barely a blip. And then in the city, 30 percent no votes. And that, to me, from a statistical point of view, said people don't care about the bar rating. And then it went one further and looked at what about the number of people that actually voted for the attention. One-third of the people who had cast ballot didn't even vote for, on the judges. And that, to me, says, you're right. You know, We've got this system out there. People aren't aware of it. And even if they are aware of it, they're skipping over it anyway. And you know, there's just no meaningful uh, input in there. And I think we can do better. And I, and I would challenge us to do better. Professor. Okay, now we're going to go to two-minute closing statements. We'll, we'll just do them in the same order, I think, in the first way. Uh, and hopefully I won't take the, the, the full two minutes, but originally 21 states adopted the identical Missouri plan. Since that time, only six have it, and our distinguished company is basically limited to our neighbors. And I think it's time for us as Missouri lawyers to step up to the plate. Let's come up with a plan that the rest of the rest of the states can adopt and say, this this new Missouri plan is the way we want to go. I do applaud our our uh, predecessors who came up with the Missouri plan set almost 70 years ago in response to a particular set of circumstances. That set of circumstances has changed. It's time for us to step up to the plate, engage in fruitful debate, and and let the voters. Let's come up as a bar association as interested members and say, this is the plan we think is for the next 70 to 100 years, and let the voters decide whether they want the existing plan, the Missouri plan, or a new plan. It's time we do that. It's good we engage in this debate. And I also want to thank my fellow panelists uh, for coming up here. I realize that uh, that I may, may never be able to practice in the state again, but I'm willing to do this because, <laughs> because I, think, I think it's better government. I think the HDR 33 is, is a fine uh, middle ground between the federal plan and the current plan, and I think it restores accountability <laughs> to the system at a place, and, uh, and that would be the people overhearing that, uh, that I'm not practicing in the state. That was applause. Um, but I do, I do want us to engage in this full debate. It's good that we do, and it's good government. Thank you. And, and I, I thank the opportunity to be here today and, and uh, express some other views. I do think we're all trying to get to the same place. We're all trying to get a judiciary that is competent, qualified, um, follows the rule of law, isn't an activist. You know, I think we're all trying to get to the same place. I think there's disagreement on how we get there. My concern primarily with, with these two is I think it injects a lot more politics into the selection of judges. And, and I, you know, I've talked with people to I'm blue in the face. They say, this isn't really a nonpartisan plan. There are politics involved. And I agree. And we're always going to have a certain level of politics involved in any process where there are people involved. But I want to minimize that. 
and I don't think we minimize it by putting it all into the governor's office. And, and I, you know, I, I would defend the lawyers of this state by saying that I think we do a good job of evaluating the judges, of, of expressing our opinions, of being able to uh, interview candidates and, and find the very best that are able, that are willing to do it for the price that we pay and submit those to the governor. Um, this really takes the lawyers out of it and, and puts it in, in a political forum that, that I think is disastrous. And, and I don't think the confirmation hearings that I have witnessed on the federal level are a whole lot about the qualification of judges, more about what political party are you assigned to, what do you feel about abortion, what do you feel about eminent domain, what, you know, whatever the hot topic is. And, and I don't want to see us going there. So I would encourage us, again, to talk about it, to come up with, with ways to improve the existing system or, or improve it in other ways that don't create more politics. I'll be brief. Uh, I believe we need to act before there's a crisis. We have two groups moving at us. One who uh, simply uh, will vote not to retain out of anger. Another who won't vote unless they're informed. And one of these days, that's going to go over 50%. And a crisis will be gasoline that'll do that. It's time to act. In my judgment, we need an open forum for handling this. The best open forum we've found in a long time, it seems to me, in our government is a professional uh, judiciary committee. They can, handle all, they can handle all sorts of things that uh, can't be put in the public domain that you'd have to be put with elections. And I think in that particular process, using the federal model, which I happen to support, uh, you do give the governor some say. You also give the legislature some say, and you certainly let the people be heard in the manner that they're accustomed to and are familiar with and are comfortable with. And I, I applaud this debate. As a matter of fact, for the sake of the judiciary, I urge that it be vigorous and that it, we resolve this particular matter or we modernize, we update, we do something because uh, I don't think the status quo is going to serve us well. Thank you.